Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Matthew 4, 12 through 25. Good morning, church. Hope you have your Bibles open to Matthew 4. We're going to be looking at that uh, for our sermon, as you heard Peyton mention a little bit earlier. As you can tell, I just want to let you know I don't want to distract you. i got a throat issue this morning. I believe it would have killed most normal men, but I'm going to make it. I'm going to fight through this in toughness. So um, I just want you to know if I take a drink, it's only so you aren't distracted by me being a frog all morning. Uh, so we are in this series looking through the life of Matthew, or the life of Jesus through Matthew. And I want to make you aware that we have journals that are available for you. We're going to give them to you at cost at $5, but it has the scriptural text. You might remember this in the Revelation series. We have these for Matthew. They're in the Pathway Center. So if you just go out the back doors or this hallway and take a right when you get out there, uh, in the Pathway Center, we have these available. For those of you that take notes and want to keep those notes tied to the text, uh, we just think this is a good use of time and study. And so if those encourage you, uh, we'd ask you to make sure you pick one of those up as soon as you possibly can. So my youngest son, Braden, and I were watching a movie. I don't remember if it was at home or theater. I just remember the moment because the way it stuck with me afterwards. In this movie, the, the hero of the story was in a great peril at the beginning of the story. And our, our son, Braden is a wonderful young man, uh, but he demonstrates his anxieties pretty clearly. When he paces back and forth in every sporting event until he's out there. He's, he just demonstrates it. And I was noticing what this movie, he was younger, like six or seven, and we were watching this film, and he was really getting nervous and anxious about what was going to take place with the, the hero. And I just leaned over to him, thinking it was a good father move. I leaned over to him, and I said, hey, buddy, he's going to be okay. And he looked at me real quick, and he says, how do you know? And I said, because there's an hour left in the movie. And he went, 
yeah. And I said, see, sometimes you can figure it out ahead of time. And then we went back to watching the movie and I cursed myself because what the playwright and the director and the producer and the actors were trying to create was a moment where that suspense and tension would pay off later in the story. I took away all that from him. I didn't let him enjoy the story and connect with it because I saved the moment to protect him and it wasn't that big of a deal. I should have just let him struggle to see that this is what it is, right? Well, why would I tell you that? Because I'm a bad dad too. Uh, You know the story of Jesus. And because you know it, you may not let Matthew teach you anything. And I want you to understand that Matthew is telling a story to a group of people 30, 40, 50 years after Jesus ascended to be back with the Father, and he was trying to communicate who Jesus was to them. Don't let the fact that you know the end of the story ruin what Matthew tells you. If you go back to Drake's great message last week, you realize that he covered the first three chapters. In chapter one, Jesus is a promised king. Matthew wants you to know he comes from David, and God promised David that through his line, through his descendants, this throne would never be empty, and it would be held forever, and Jesus was the king who would sit on that throne forever. We go to chapter two, and Joseph is made aware that Herod, King Herod, is trying to kill Jesus because he's threatened by him, and so they they whisk him away to Egypt, of all places, go figure. You've read about that in the past, haven't you, too? And it's in Egypt that when Herod dies, that Joseph brings the great deliverer out of Egypt and takes him back to his people to deliver them from greater things. And then in chapter three, his cousin, John the baptizer, pronounces to the world that this is the righteous judge, that he will judge the world and he will stand before it as the great king, the great deliverer, the great judge. You see, Matthew wants to show you something and I don't want any of us to presume we already know. Let's just listen to what he teaches. See, in Matthew chapter 4, we learn something significant. If you've read Matthew chapter 4 in advance, you'll know that probably one of my favorite texts in all of Matthew is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, but I'm not going to talk about that today. See, I've been here for 13 years, and in 13 years, I've preached Matthew 4, 1 through 11 six times, and I know you remember everything I say every week. So you are experts. No, I know you don't. I don't remember what I said two weeks ago. But in the midst of it, I want you to remember, here's the key that we learned from Matthew about Jesus. Where Adam, the first man, was in the gracious goodness of God's garden, and he faced temptation, and his desire to be God overtook him, and he submitted to temptation, and he gave everything good up. The new Adam, Jesus, will not be in a gracious garden. He'll be in a barren wilderness when the shortcuts would be needed, when it would benefit him to take them and he refuses to take the shortcuts of temptation. So what does Matthew teach us in the first 11 verses? Jesus is the obedient son. He's the obedient son to the father at no advantage to himself, except it pleased his father. And so after the great moment of his baptism, he's whisked into the wilderness where he's tested and tried, and he passes the test because his relationship with God is more important to him than the comforts of this life. He's an obedient son. And then we're going to learn in verses 12 to 25 that Jesus goes out and he sees some men he already knows, two set of fishermen, Peter and his brother Andrew. Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist, so Andrew was aware who this Jesus character was and that the Messiah was here. I'm sure he told his brother Peter. James and John are related by family to Jesus' family. Whether they met him personally, we don't know, but they were aware that something had happened to Mary and to Elizabeth and all that took place in that home. 
And Jesus comes by and he calls them with a very simple expression, come follow me. You see, what I want us to understand that I think Matthew is revealing to us is that Jesus is seen as the obedient son and he calls us that we may learn to be obedient too. When Jesus says, follow me, he's going to introduce us into what he was introducing to everybody, that there is a way to be close to the father after the alienation of sin and Jesus would be that way. Are you with me? But if you know the story, you just jump to the end. You know, he's raised, he's resurrected, he ascends, he's coming back. That's good stuff. But knowing Jesus is worth the opportunity to spend time in the text and let it teach. So who is the me in follow me? Who is the me in follow me? Because Jesus just gives this little expression. I remember growing up in church. For those of us who grew up in church, I know it's a 50-50 split. Some of you are like, I hated it. I didn't understand any of it. I didn't love all of it. I wasn't easily connected. 80% of the stuff my preacher was talking about, I had no clue. I wasn't mature enough and ready for it yet. But I was taught by people who loved Jesus that he loved me. And I will be grateful for the rest of my life that I was given the opportunity to know what my parents knew. And so in the midst of whatever our past with the church is, one of the things I do remember in junior church was singing the song, I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. And we had actions and we fished and it was corny. But I'm telling you what, my heritage comes back. I don't regret it now because when I read a text like this, I'm reminded how this truth has been presented to me over and over my entire lifetime. So I don't want us to miss it because we know it. I want us to celebrate it, relish it, enjoy it. Who is the me of follow me? The king. Drake said it so well last week. Jesus is king and the king is here. That was Matthew's point. And the point is when the king comes and he invites you to join him, that's significant. Because when Jesus said to the disciples passing by, come follow me, you have the choice, flee or follow. But to wait, to ponder, um, when you know who's calling you, when you know who the me of follow me is, it changes everything. You see, Jesus did not come to offer them a potential kingdom one day, thousands of years from now. Jesus offered them a kingdom now. That's why it says in Matthew 4, 17, the kingdom of heaven is available, not one day, not soon enough, not if you just hold your breath tight enough and you don't give up. No, the kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus said, the king is here, so the kingdom is here because the kingdom of God is wherever God gets what God wants. So there's Jesus saying, it's here because I'm here. The king is here, the king is Jesus. And so in the midst, he goes by and he offers them this. So the me and follow me is the most important part of the whole call. Don't just follow rules and regulations and ideologies. Jesus said, follow me. So what does the follow and follow me mean? So if you're sitting there going, Mark, are you really going to preach an entire message on two words? Watch me. (laughs) Because if we don't get this, then Christianity can be spent on a fool's game climbing a mountain to accomplish things that we think impress people who aren't impressed. Now this is to follow him, the king, the deliverer, the obedient son, the great ruler. So what does the follow of follow me mean? We follow him through his grace. This is just the point that I can't, I cannot overemphasize. I want to be real careful. I don't mansplain it and treat you like you know nothing. But this must be embedded as a core value for all of us. 
We follow him through his grace. Look at verses 18 and 19 with me. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me. Now you might think that the, they were fishermen is just an insignificant detail. Matthew goes into great detail. Matthew has very specifics in what he's writing. He is recording that this is evidenced. This isn't one man's idea. He said, no, talk to the people who are there. They'll tell you this is how it took place. And Matthew is bringing themes out, as Drake explained very well last week. And one of the themes he's pointing out is that Jesus went by these fishermen while he was in the Sea of Galilee. Because what's fascinating to me is when Jesus hears that John the Baptist has been imprisoned for speaking out against Herod, Jesus doesn't go to Jerusalem to establish his kingdom. He goes to Capernaum to the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is not hiding from the threat, but Jesus is teaching us something, that his kingdom is going to include all of us, not just some of us. So he goes to the land of the pagans to introduce them to this new kingdom because never would they have ever thought the Samaritans and the Gentiles would have ever thought that the king of the Jews would invite them into his kingdom. But he does. And while passing by the Sea of Galilee, he sees Peter and Andrew and he says to them, Come, follow me. Now, you might think, well, okay, Mark, it's pretty clear in the text, but, let, but understand this with me, that in those days, Jews would go to teachers and rabbis and ask to be mentored. It was more common that you would do this. Now, I think it's, I think it's wonderful. Uh, it, and my grandfather always told me I should be a student of every person I meet. Find out what they do and how they do what you don't do and learn how to do that. I wish I'd have taken that advice more seriously. But every now and then, there'll be a student at one of the colleges, either Pitt State or Ozark, who's desperately tried to find a mentor and can't find one, so they turn to me. And they'll come to me and say, hey, would you mentor me? And my question is always this. I would be open to doing that if you tell me what you want to learn, what you want to experience. Because if I haven't experienced that, I can't mentor you. If I'm not good at that, I can't, I can't really give you anything except how not to do it. So in this mentoring relationship, it even happens today where you go to someone and say, you're really good at this. Can you teach me? Well, this is what they would do in Jesus' day. They would find a rabbi and they would place themselves under a rabbi. Now, the scholarship that I read suggests that they often did that so they could climb the social ladder. If you got the right rabbi in the right town, you got the right prophets. But in this case, I want you to notice that what Matthew shows us is James or Peter and Andrew did not go to Jesus and ask to be mentored. Jesus came to them. That's the heart of God. Go all the way back to your Old Testament. Abraham, Noah, David, the prophets. God went to them. God pursued them. God offered them an opportunity to become a part of his kingdom by speaking on his behalf. And this is what Jesus does. In fact, the greatest evidence I can get, give you rather, of the pursuit of God toward us is when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, who showed up? Not the God of wrath, the God of mercy. So don't mistake the point this morning. If you and I are a part of the kingdom, if we are following the king, it is only because he pursued us first. If you awakened any day of your life realizing your sin was overwhelming, your hope was gone, you had no future, and you were broken by your choices, it wasn't because your mind clicked. It's because the Holy Spirit brought conviction. God laid on you his love for you. And the reason you turned to God was the hope found in the gospel comes from God to the hopeless. So when the king walks by two random fishermen, 
And he says, come follow me. It's one of the greatest acts of grace shown in scripture. And God did it because that's who God is. That's the king. That's the me and follow me. And it's what it means to follow. In Ephesians chapter one, it says, God chose us in Jesus before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. But if you read Ephesians 1, 4, and you heard me read it, I did not read to you that Paul said that because we are holy and blameless, it's that in Jesus, we would become holy and blameless. By the grace and mercy of God, we can follow. And by the grace and mercy of God, following matters. In John 15, Jesus would say to this same group of disciples, James and John and Peter and Andrew and many others, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. What is the purpose of Jesus calling us? It's for his glory. But his glory is not his ego. Jesus is not so weak that if he's not loved every second, it makes him angry. The glory of Jesus is our hope because he was glorified in his obedience and raised up to sit at the right hand of the father. We have hope that he can do in us. If he can be raised from the dead by his own power, what might he do for us? If he can heal the blind, if he can make the lame walk, if he can cause the mute to speak, if he can raise people from the dead, where is our hope? It's not in our following ability. It's in the king we follow and we follow him because he chose us that he might produce in us good fruit. So in the weirdest of ways, the glory of Jesus is my hope. I'm not enough. I'll never be enough. I'll never make it right. But when I follow him and I live to point to him and I understand that my only hope is in Jesus, the glory of Christ becomes my salvation. So we follow him through grace and we live with abandonment to that glory. Abandonment. This is where it becomes real for us. This is where it goes so far beyond what culture wants us to to teach. I'm not taking a shot at anybody not in this room, not another denomination, not another group. And I'm certainly not wanting to offend what you were taught growing up. My grandmother taught me when she first heard that I was going to be a preacher, my junior year of college, my grandmother, who never said anything unless requested, said to me in her living room, do not preach to anybody who's not in the room. She got tired of preachers taking shots at those who went to other churches. So she said to her grandson, don't be that guy. So I won't be. So I'm talking to Christ church people, our, our church family. When we abandon ourselves to the glory of Jesus, I want you to see it right here. Verse 19. Come follow me. At once they left their nets and they followed him. The fisherman detail matters. They left their boats. They left their nets. In fact, if you read earlier, they had just cast their nets. They left them in their future, their livelihood, their viability was still in the water and they left. You see, no matter what your past is, please understand. Jesus calls us to come and die. That the whole premise of come be comfortable, come and don't change a thing about your life is not the gospel call. It's to die to self. It's to give up everything. It's to take up a cross on which we will die and follow him. It is not to to make a decision. 
to feel bad, to desire a future in heaven one day. It's not to pray a prayer or to raise a hand. It's to abandon ourselves. The reason we're baptized in water is to symbolize being laid to death and rising cleansed to newness of life. Beautiful imagery. It's about abandonment. And what are we to abandon? Control. You place yourself under a rabbi and a teacher and that teacher mentors you and calls you and challenges you and challenges you. You see, a call to Jesus means you will leave some things behind. He doesn't give details, but he does expect submission. When he says, come follow me, he doesn't tell them. He will tell them over their journey together. This is why the key principle to following Jesus, and I'm going to emphasize the words, is to follow Jesus, to trust him. Or if I can say it this way, followers don't always know where they're going, but they will always know who they're with. To follow Jesus is not about the details of the journey. I think they would blow our minds and we'd quit before we started. Following Jesus is not about the details. It's about who you're with because of who he is. They had to completely reorient their lives to him. And that's the truth of following Jesus. It's not adding Jesus to what you already do. It's reorienting rather your behavior and yourself toward him. The abandoning of something. I don't know what they gave up. The Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot. The Bible does tell us that Peter would say, we left everything to follow you, but we don't know what that everything was. We know that they probably didn't. I've heard it said, I don't believe they sold their boats and gave everything away because later after Jesus is resurrected, you might remember in John chapter 20 and 21, or 21 rather, that they're back fishing. Maybe they rebought the boats, I don't know. But they gave up their future plans, their goals and their dreams to be with him. They abandoned it, why? Because his glory, because of who he is, mattered that much. And then they had to cling to Jesus for everything. That's what it means to walk by faith. It doesn't mean to have a bad life. It doesn't mean that you can't enjoy things. It doesn't mean you can't have pleasure in your life, but it simply means that none of those things can be more important than his glory than who he is. You see, to lay down everything in your life doesn't make any sense unless you know who Jesus is. And when you understand who he is, it only makes sense to say nothing is more important than this. It's like, as he would say, there's a treasure buried in a field. And when you discover it's there, you sell everything you have to own that field because the value of what's in that field is more important than anything else you own. So what does follow a follow me mean? It means to understand that we follow through his grace only by his pursuit and that we abandon ourselves for his glory and that we live obediently to his mission. None of this is new to you. But when you let the tension of the moment without understanding, I know how it ends. If you let the tension of this moment, this rabbi walks by to these four men on two different occasions and he says, hey, come follow me. The invitation of a lifetime has to be a decision we make. We get to decide whether or not we're going to follow his call and we live obedient. Look at verse 19. And I will send you out, I will send you out to fish for people. Now this is gonna cause another thing that I do that lose respect with some of you. I don't like to fish. And please don't try to proselytize out in the foyer. You're not gonna convince me. 
I grew up in the city. We didn't have a lot of lakes. We don't fish. Some of you love it. God bless you. Take my turn, please. My grandpa used to take me fishing and I liked it. My aunt here in Missouri took me fishing and I liked it. The radio was playing. Cub game was on. We were eating great food. There was pop. We were laughing, telling jokes and talking. Then my dad took me fishing. Boo. No radio. Shut up. Sit still. Quit moving. The fish can tell. Yeah, I'll pass. Right? So as a kid growing up, when Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men, I was like, I'm out. This fishing stuff's ridiculous. Well, I want you to understand, as I grew up, I kind of was taught different. Jesus told fishermen they're going to fish. And he's going to tell you, I'm going to use you. You see, one of the beautiful things God does is he doesn't ruin our lives. He makes our lives. He's going to take the way he wired you. He's going to take your passions and your joys. He's going to take your thrills. He's going to redeem them. He's going to take your pain and your sorrow and your regrets, and he'll redeem those too, praise God. But he doesn't change you. He changes your soul. So the things you love to do, your passions, he said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He's going to say to a a mouthy kid like me, I'm going to make you a talker to men. Thank you. That came easy. You see, no matter how you're wired, God meets you where you're at. He doesn't let you stay there, but he calls you from there. And he says, I'm going to use the way I wired you because God's glory is not foreign to your soul. Made in the image of God, your soul wants to connect to the glory of God. And he's going to teach you how to do that. But he said, I'm going to give you a purpose. And I'm going to redeem you so that you can offer what I've offered you to others. I said it earlier. I'm grateful for a set of parents who raised me in the church and at least gave me a chance to know what they knew. And Jesus says, I'm going to call you to fish for people. I'm going to take who you are and I'm going to use it for my glory. But see, Jesus didn't come and say, I'm going to take over Herod's kingdom. No, Jesus said, no, I don't need to take over Herod's kingdom. My my kingdom's greater. I've always been creator king and I will always be creator king. I'm inviting you into what already is. It's new here. It's not new anywhere else. And he calls us into it. But understand this. If you and I are going to follow Jesus, he's the one who gets to lead. We don't. You see, the purpose of the kingdom are not just his purposes. They become ours. And they don't become ours regretfully. They actually become ours because he changes our hearts. Remember that when you follow Jesus, you don't always know where he's taking you. But you'll always know who you're with. The me... And follow me is the call. So let's ask ourselves this. Matthew is describing to us who this Jesus is. He's showing all the Old Testament promises being fulfilled in this man. But before I say follow me, before you hear those words from him, I want you to understand this. Jesus is not asking anything from you that he did not offer. Reason with me this morning. Did did not Jesus come to show the grace and mercy of God? to a lost and dying world? Did he he not come and give up the best parts of heaven to live in the worst parts of earth so that he could, by grace and mercy, offer you what God was offering him? Did he not live for the glory of God? Did he not, on the night he was betrayed, was able to look to his father and say these words, you shared your glory with me and I, I return it to you? Jesus said, I never took from you. I never stole your glory. I promoted your glory. I lived within your glory. I reflected your glory. And did he not forsake the comforts 
and control of his life to accomplish something greater, to abandon, to live, to be obedient unto death. Did Jesus not pick up his cross and follow his father all the way to the end with all that comes with it? So I'm going to ask this question, and for many of you, you're going to switch now. Well, this is the part where the preacher tries to close the deal. I'm going to ask you, are you a follower of Jesus? I don't mean, have you ever followed Jesus? I don't mean, have you once made a profession of faith? In light of what Matthew has just shown us, are you a person who's following Jesus with your soul, with your everything, abandoned for his glory, called by his grace, to live for a mission that invites other people to know what we know about King Jesus. Because if you're not, maybe you have been or maybe you've never been. It's irrelevant to the question. The question is today, do you choose to be a person that would leave everything to follow the King? I'd like to engage your head, your heart and your hands. I'd like you to think about this. Consider the cost of what it means to follow Jesus and then choose this day. Consider the cost of obedience, of his glory, of receiving his grace. Jesus did not call these four fishermen because he was deficit in something. He called these four fishermen because he loved them and he wanted a relationship with them. For your heart, what are you clinging to that doesn't allow you to cling to Jesus? Lay it down. Lay it down and see if you miss it. Lay it down and see if God doesn't meet that need in a more powerful and beautiful way. Your heart's gonna have to lay down the idols that keep Jesus from being foremost. That's what it means to follow him. And this is simply a prayer to God with great fear and breaking all of your habits and routines. Jesus, take this from me because I can't let it go. Watch him. He's a good, merciful God. He's very effective at heart surgery. And for your hands, choose today to pray this prayer with me. God, lead someone across my path in the next day who needs to know how much they're loved by you. It's the passion of God to pursue people. He has equipped you and I with a message of that pursuit. How God is not a God of regulations and rules who's always angry at the world. He's a God who pursues even the sinner so he can bring him home and restore her heart. Ask God for this because he will not fail. Don't be surprised before you even leave the parking lot, you may not have an opportunity to have a conversation with the one person who needs to know God is pursuing them with love through Jesus because that's who our God is. So Jesus said, follow me. In the back of the room are two tables. Uh, We have staff and some of our elders back there to meet with anybody who wants to be met with. So during this next song, I would encourage you, if you've never taken a knee before King Jesus and given him your heart, he's calling you to follow him. Is today the day you do it? If you have once in your past said, I wanna follow Jesus and you find yourself not doing so, is today the day you repent and proclaim again, you are my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my rebellion, but Father, I want Jesus. I wanna walk with Jesus. And as a church, we'll walk with you. There are things on the pathway that we can help you that will help you grow and focus and become more like Jesus every day. Not tricks, but things we do with Christ. Or maybe you need someone to pray with you 
or you want to pray for somebody and you want someone to journey with you in that, we're back there for you. This is, as big as it is, this is a church family. You don't have to walk this alone. Let's walk together. Let's care for one another, protect one another, and guide one another. Jesus has called everyone in this room to follow him. How about we do that together? Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.